Today we have before us the triumphant entry. Triumphal entry. The the uh, I want to give credit to the late. I guess he's the late Doctor Bob Shelton. I'm, I believe he is the late Doctor Bob Shelton. If not, I'm sorry, Bob. But these are his. I've used these several times. It's from God's Prophetic Blueprint, a very some very uh, short but ex- excellent resource on what God has in mind. The message we listened to last Sunday morning of all things was called the Great Reset. And you may hear some of that uh, in an ensuing near future about what how the prophecy plays into what is going on now. Not a long series, but maybe just a little bit about that. I thought it was quite informational and helped us to stay focused on what God has designed for our world yet to come. And so we find here the triumphant entry of chapter 12. If you're listening in online, verse 12, chapter 12 of John, on the next day, we find in that much people that had come to the feast... When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found the young donkey, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, the king cometh, sitting on a donkey's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that, that these things were written of him and that they were done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record what a witness Lazarus has been. For this cause, the people also met him that had heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive or see ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. Amen. I wish it was so. Don't you wish it was so? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word to our hearts. Lord, I am nothing, and I want to so readily admit that. In your word, you are everything. Lord, forgive me of sin. Forgive me of failure. Forgive me of wrong. Empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. I, I want your word to be preeminent. I want people, I want us to see Jesus and his glory and the plan that he has and the wonderful minutia of the prophecy, how it's to the day, I believe, the prophecy is fulfilled. And so, Lord, help me today. Again, those help downstairs, those teaching. I pray for our church that we would see growth, that we'd see new people come and, and old people come, uh, older folks who used to attend come back. But help us to be about your business until you take us home to be with yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is the triumphant entry. Perhaps we might label it somewhat as the tragic entry because it triggered really the events that led to his death. We call this the Passion Week, if you're wondering what that means. It simply means the time when Jesus entered Jerusalem on this day to his death and resurrection. That's the Passion Week, when, when Christ's passion came to fulfillment there. A lot of the Gospels just really center on this last part of his life, uh, the book of John especially. Uh, we're coming on to that. And we find then that they were cheering. This is this is the long-expected king, Hosanna, praise the Lord, here's the king of Israel. And so, But they were not so much interested in the Messiah, the Savior, as they were the general who would lead them out of this Roman oppression like they, the Jews, are going to somehow overthrow the Romans. I'm thinking in history, it went badly for them almost every time when the Romans almost always won, I mean the big time. And so 70 AD, 132 to 135 AD. And so now perhaps there were, according to uh, Andreas Kostenberger, that there's perhaps a million pilgrims in Jerusalem. So this is the biggest feast, the biggest day of the year, this Passover, the biggest week of the year. And Christ is going to come in, not riding a beautiful white stallion, but riding a donkey of all things. 
But that was his purpose. When some of the Pharisees in the crowd objected to the people's shout, if you remember in Luke 19.40, he said these words, if the people start stop crying, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, there's a dramatic shift in Christ's ministry here this week. We need to understand why. Well, the answer is the Messiah. Now, interestingly enough, and you may not know this, but Messiah is Hebrew, Mashiach, and in Greek, it's Christ or Christos. And so, the one and the same, the anointed one, Messiah or Christ, one, the anointed one. He's coming to, to take over, and, and one day he's going to rule and reign, Psalm chapter 2, for with a rod of iron during the millennium, and rule in peace for eternity. That's the Messiah who's coming. Even, remember, the kings were anointed. David was anointed, and Samuel anointed also Saul, and he was a king. Even though they were anointed, they really had their problems. Even David, who was a, a magnificent king in many, many ways, never really fulfilled the prophecy what Jehovah had said was going to happen, a, a Messiah to come to rule and to reign in righteousness, had not happened. So they really liked the political aspect of the Messiah reign, not so much the, uh, 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 the not so much the savior aspect, as you well know from history from the Bible. But this political aspect comes along, and, and, and we find they even say this: it's a, sort of like a rendition of Psalm one eighteen twenty six. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so they even add this king of Israel, not just the king, but the king of Israel. So the Old Testament presents in the second aspect of the Messiah, however. And that's the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. And they're not so much into that. They want somebody to rule over and to lead them and to provide them all the things that they need, but they're not so much into having a ruler over them. But he came to die for them. And he came to die for us. And so that's not what they wanted. The suffering servant was not what they're about, but it was clearly from history and from the Bible, it clearly says he's going to be that. Zechariah presents Messiah not as a warrior mounted on a powerful horse, but a humble servant, humbling himself, on the, riding the foal of a donkey. By the way, that donkey had never been ridden before. I can, I, I can think back, I just thought back to the donkey basketball games when I was in, in grade school down in McGoffin County. This guy had these donkeys would come along, and, and, he, and some victims were pulled out of the crowd, my dad being one, and they were, supposed, they were on like five donkeys on this team, and they're trying to make a basket riding a donkey. You can just imagine how funny that was. And, they, and I imagine it got, it got hurt. And poor donkeys, I'm not sure, their life was miserable, probably. And I could, but they're just wild. They were just bucking. Can you imagine now a donkey who's never been ridden, and yet the first time the Savior? But this is the Savior. This is the Creator. I think the donkey was, I don't know how a donkey could think. Wow, I am privileged beyond all donkeys. And a donkey could think. So he rides this donkey into Jerusalem. Deliberately provoking the Jewish leaders. They wanted to kill the, Jesus because he was up disrupting their power base. But they didn't want to do it during the Passover lest a revolt start. But that's exactly what needed to be done because Jesus is in 1 Corinthians 5-7 our Passover. So it must be during this Passover time. So if you're taking down notes, we're finally to the note part. The pilgrims, we find in, in chapter 12, 12 and 13, the beginning, the importance of the day, verse 12. On the next day, this is after the feast, Mary anoints Jesus, washes her, his feet with her hair and the spinnaker anointment that was a couple weeks ago. The next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So this is the fourth day before Passover, if you would. We call this Palm Sunday. Can you imagine Josephus said there was a survey done one year during this time. I remember Josephus, the Pharisaical Hebrew person, but gave a lot of good historical 
accounts 256,500 sheep slaughtered at Passover. 256,500. There had to be sheep going up into Jerusalem almost all day long. So you can imagine the Lamb of God going into Jerusalem and all beside him are these lambs who have been picturing for hundreds of years what he was going to do on the cross shortly thereafter. What a picture it was for us. Although John does not say so, this is a very important date. The scripturally literate Jews should have had this date marked on their calendars. And so I have a date marked on my, I think it's marked on my calendar somewhere downstairs. On Wednesday I have a procedure that I've never had before and will never ever want to have again. But my doctor conned me into it, uh, and she's left town now. But she called me, and I, I agreed to it. And so I'm going to have one of these things that begins with a colon. I has oscopy on the end. And I, I don't have any problems. Why should I have to have one of these things? I don't have any that I know of. Oh, but you need, you know, you're 61 years old. And so, we, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it once. There we are. So, uh, marked on the calendar should have been this date when the Jesus rides into Jerusalem. They should have known this. Wow, this, it, it should have been, the Sanhedrin should have been counting down to this date. They should have had a special significance from all the other dates, all the other times and seasons of their religious calendar. This is the day and a date foretold 483 years earlier, by, at least by Daniel the prophet. As you're turning now with me to Daniel 9.24, I want to read these verses. He marked off this period for Israel, and you might want to get your chart out as we go through this little spot of the message, part of the message right here. 69 of the seven-year periods had come to pass. That's 483 years beginning in 434 B.C. If you want to see on your chart or just as you're returning back to Daniel chapter 9. This I heard just this past Sunday, the, the pastor was speaking a little bit about this. He said this gives the liberals nightmares, the, the theological liberals nightmares that Daniel could be so specific in his prophecy God gave this. It's God's writing for us. And so we find here Daniel 9.24. Hold on to your hat. This is a very, like, the salient prophecy of, of, if you would, of Old Testament regarding this situation. Seventy weeks. Now, seventy weeks are seventy years. Seventy weeks of years. So it's a 400, 70 times seven, 490 total years, each week being a seven-year period. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city for six purposes, to finish the transgression, to make an end of the sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquities, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That's the purposes. We're not going to talk about those. Know therefore and understand, 25, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. So the first period, if you're looking at your chart, handy-dandy chart, Daniel's 70 weeks, the chart 1, you will see that from the command to restore Jerusalem, 445, the 7 year, 7 or 49 years, 7 weeks, 49 years, is to the completing of Jerusalem. See the top of their completion of the building program, 396. And then there's 62 more weeks or 7-year periods for a grand total of 434 plus 49 483 total years from the time to go back and restore Jerusalem to the Messiah's cut off. 483 years. Now, if you were think back for just a moment, these, in this context, these are for God's chosen people. 
So the first 69 years or 400, first 69 weeks or 483 years were all for the Jews. So the 70th week at the very bottom chart too, Daniel's 70th week, since the first 69 are for the Jews, I'm thinking the last one is for the Jews as well. And the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, is to get the Jews to a point where they receive Jesus as the Messiah, the true Messiah. We call that 70th week of Daniel the tribulation. And then I think I call the last three and a half years the great tribulation. But that's the 70th. So we've had already up to this point in time in John chapter 12, verse 12, 483 years of the prophecy. So we've had three sections, 49 years, 434 years, and we have one seven-year period left. So then he is cut off, cut off for the people, if you would. And that this was predicted by God, given to us by God. 62 weeks or 434 years plus 7 weeks or 49 years, 483 total years. If you want to do the days, <clears throat> given 360 days per year, that's 173,880 days. We find then that Dr. Sir Robert Anderson says on April the 6th, 32 AD, the exact day, boom, he comes. Can you imagine... Uh, you know what was going to happen in 20, 22, 2564, on May the 1st, 2564, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a huge earthquake or something like that. Can you imagine trying to pick that far out? That's what, this is the prophecy given to Daniel, but even more, longer than, uh, than 483 years. God gave specificity to this. The day that prophecy is done, the Messiah comes into Jerusalem to be cut off for his people. It's clear. Clear. I like what Dr. Robert Anderson, Sir Robert Anderson says. He says it is a short paragraph. When then, what then was the length of the period intervening between the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the public advent of the Messiah Prince between 14th of March, B.C. 445 and the 6th of April, A.D. 32? The interval contained exactly and to the very day 173,880 days or seven times 69 prophetic years of 360 days and the first 69 weeks of Gabriel's prophecy. There it is. Yes, and Christ comes into Jerusalem on the exact day God from eternity past had, dict- had said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So to sum it up, put it in an eggshell if you would. Put all an egg basket, I'm sorry, put it in one basket for us. He presented himself as the king of the Jews on the exact day when the prophet said he would. Simply stated, he came as their king. He did exactly what God said he would do. So, so far, we have had chart one, 69 of the seven week, seven week periods, 483 years. So we have left seven years. Then, Pastor, what about what about the Jews had said yes to Jesus? Well, that, in their minds, they should have. That's why I'm saying this is the quintessential day in a human history because the Jews, if they had said yes, well, then they would have crucified Christ and and, and that would immediately inaugurated the Great Tribulation, and they'd have been the Romans have been swept away as Christ comes to rule and to reign in His kingdom. But they said no. So then we're, we're in the no stage. We're in the church age, the age of grace now. And so we're not sure how long it's going to be. But this is between that, the 69th and the 70th week is right where we are. I think we're over here almost at the 70th week, personally. Very, very close. We could be knocking at the 70-week door soon. 
Could be today. Caiaphas, if you go back, if you want to go back to our text in John chapter uh, twelve, actually chapter eleven, verse fifty, John eleven fifty, Caiaphas had sort of had his prophecy going to ring true. Actually, Caiaphas says in John eleven fifty, he said for these words, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this he spake, he not only of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And thus Jesus did die for the nation and for us as well. He was cut off. The Jews did not even repent in the face of Christ's resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They were still adamantly against that Jesus was the Messiah. And as a result, this final week of Daniel's prophecy, chart 2, has been in hold until God's plan is fulfilled. The times the Gentiles are done. Started with Nebuchadnezzar, times of Gentiles. It's still going on. Christ is going to come back, though, and he's going to take the church out. And then shortly thereafter, remember the tribulation does not start with the rapture of the church. The tribulation starts when the Antichrist, who's shown himself, signs a treaty with Israel. Peace of Jerusalem. We like that. Seven-year treaty. We'll take it. That's going to be the beginning of the tribulation time. And what the what Caiaphas and his cronies, I guess I can use that word, Caiaphas and his cronies, it sort of goes together. What they wanted to do was to avoid being taken over by the, the Romans, and yet in AD 70, they get thoroughly demolished. And then again, Bar Kokhba was a, a Jewish leader in 132 to 135 BC, and they got demolished again. And so what they were trying to avoid happened because of their own uh, way they behaved, etc. So we might say, the most critical day in the history of the Jewish people. One might even say, John says, John Phillips, that the most critical day in the history of the world, at least humanly speaking, since the alternative was immediately Christ's kingdom or a delay for however long it is. Now, personally, as a Gentile, I am thankful that they said no and that the gospel has come to you and I. And aren't you glad as well? Even always here in America. And so they hear that Jesus is coming. So the pilgrims, with their importance of the day, the implications of the deed in 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. Uh, perhaps the high mark of Christ's popularity. He's had these years of popularity. Now the people have turned against him. The religious leaders have turned against him. Perhaps the high mark of popularity in one day would be this. This day. Hosanna. He's coming in the name of the Lord. We're going to be free from the Roman possession and Roman oppression. We're going to be free from that. He is the king. Now, Christ had avoided all these situations, not until the hour. This is the hour. So he comes in to actually provokes the Jewish leaders to action, if you would, forcing them to act. For it's his father's will. He died of the Passover. Now, the palm branch, as you well probably know, a symbol of triumph and victory in pre-Christian times. The Romans awarded champions of the games that would get palm branches, possibly. Early Christians used it to symbolize victory of the faithful over their enemies, etc. And Judaism, the palm, represented peace and plenty. It was one of the four species of uh, branches allowed for the Feast of Booze, Myrtle, Willow, and Citron being the other three. The crowd was likely made up of thousands of pilgrims. You have the pilgrims coming up to Jerusalem. You have the pilgrims who've heard about Lazarus coming out of Jerusalem, and they meet, and there's a huge throng of people to celebrate Christ coming into Jerusalem. So these palm branches were symbols even in the, the war against Rome in AD 60 to 70. They would, they would even stamp palm leaves as symbols on their own coins. Not that it did them a lot of good, I'm thinking, because of their destruction. 
And so the pilgrims are here, and he is the king, he is the king. But just, just a moment before you do the hip hip hooray, the pilgrims, and then there's the praise. What were they saying? Hosanna, blessed is the king and 13 of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord, taken from Psalm 118, 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Hosanna simply means save now or give the victory now. Hosanna, we want the victory now. Save now. We are in need of a Savior. Now, again, not the religious Savior to forgive them of their sin but a leader who will lead them and overthrow the Roman oppression. That's how much they hated Rome. They never grasped the fact that a millennial kingdom could be manifested only on the foundation of a spiritual kingdom. That's how it works. How do you think, how do you think it went from the space of one week being the hero of the day, uh, the most popular person on the planet, to being the public enemy, number one? How did that happen? And I like one little guy gave us a pithy little saying. It's easier to shout in a parade than to stand at a cross. Easier to shout in a parade than to stand at a cross. But actually, the, this, the same crowd, it, it might be some of the same crowd. But remember, this is probably pilgrims coming from Galilee. So the ones shouting Hosanna, and likely the, the Jerusalem Jews were the ones, a lot of them were crying to crucify him. So to say that everybody who shouted Hosanna... Shout to crucify him, I, I would not, I think it'd be a misnomer. But the Jewish people as a whole, and by the way, let's just confirm right now that we are all guilty of the Savior. It was all our sin. Let's just narrow it down. It was your sin. It was my sin that caused him to go to the cross. That was us. So we may not have been there in person, but we were. It was our sin was there in person. And you need to be thankful for that. Because he died. For us then, for all. The pilgrims, the praise, the procession. I know what time it is, and if you've got your crockpot on, we still should be good. So the procession. And Jesus, when he found the young ass, sat there on. Now, I use donkey because I just try to stay away from that word because it's used so negatively in our culture. Found a young donkey and sat there on. Uh, historically, now, the donkey was not used for a warlike person it would not have sent uh, Schwarzkopf, would not have ridden the donkey into Iran. He would have ridden a stallion, a charger, something that worked, because that was the symbol of the victor, etc., or whatever you want to call it. That was just top of my head illustration. The donkey was, was not, it was a symbol of peace. He was not coming in, by the way, to make war. He was coming to die. And so it's clearly, had Jesus ridden a huge war horse in, the Romans, oh, wait just a minute. But now the Romans probably ridiculed their savior, their king, Roger Donkey, what's up with that? It's like, oh, oh, oh. And I just imagine the response. So chanting crowds coming out of Jerusalem, the chanting crowds coming up with Jesus, from uh, coming up to, and they're going to meet together. And Hosanna, this is our time. Save now, Hosanna. Here he comes. Romans, I don't think, were too suspicious. Didn't disarm them at this point anyway. We can sure that they were watched closely, but a king riding a donkey, I don't think it caused too much alarm in the Roman culture. The pilgrims, the praise, the procession. How about the prophecy in 14? Fear, uh, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh uh, sitting on a donkey's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. Remember, oh, why can't they remember? 
you and I, before we start throwing all our stones, we live in glass houses. We only have the privilege. We have the whole entire account of God's word. They are living this. They're living this. We look back at 2,000 years and, oh, why didn't they do, why aren't you doing the things, why didn't you, why didn't I witness more? Why wasn't the church more effective in our own culture in 2022? Why why wasn't every single church in Boyd County and Greenup County and South County, why wasn't every single church filled to overflowing every single week? I mean, there's plenty of people in our little neighborhood here and we could overflow our church. So why? Because we haven't done exactly, we haven't done close to it really in many regards. Why why don't all the people in the world know the gospel? The church has F-A-I-L-E-D. Pastors in America, we have failed we have as it is written now this but those who knew the torah which i for the first time i have heard it pronounced correctly as i listening to messages this week torah there was the prophecy from zechariah 9 you want to turn over there real quickly we got time yet hold your horses on i've got two more pages left on my message and we got we're doing okay zechariah chapter 9 zechariah 3 post-exilic prophets what does that mean pastor Three prophets who wrote after the exile, post-exilic prophets. Zechariah being one. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. From the Messiah. I was thinking about that. Behold, thy king is cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly in riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Daughter of Zion, a personification of the city of Jerusalem, occurs frequently in the Old Testament. That's what that means, daughter of Zion. And verse 10, and I will cut off the, the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. He died that we might have life. But I'm telling you, he comes back again. It's not going to be as a baby in a manger. It's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, and you will bow Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Period. And you'll confess that many will before they cast into Christless eternity, a place called the lake of fire. Pastor Alan Carr says, For thousands of years the Jewish people had been looking for a Messiah. They were expecting a great military leader, one who would overthrow all their enemies and restore Israel to its former greatness and glory. What they had not expected was that their king would appear as a carpenter. They never expected that he would possess no weapons, no army, no political power. They certainly never knew that he would be crucified on the cruel cross for their oppressors. Orthodox Jews, who, by the way, Yeshiva Institute in New York City, by the way, has been in the news of late and is very important ruling regarding all of America, regarding churches and schools. Anyway, that we find that they, the, the, the Orthodox Jews today, God cannot die. So Jesus cannot be God because he died on the cross. There's but one God, and he doesn't die on crosses. You see their struggle from their, from their training? These things understood not his disciples at the first. So evidently the disciples themselves at the time were not conscious of fulfilling prophecy, and there have been some of more astute minds of the Sanhedrin, perhaps Nicodemus and others, however remembered. The prophecy and saw in Christ's fulfillment ominous overtones. What's going to happen here now that Nicodemus probably was rejoicing? The peace. He came to bring peace. I like what Calvin says. Never is tranquility restored to our minds or fear and trembling banished from them except by knowing that Christ reigns amongst us. 
It is this. I was just thinking, preparing for tonight's message about the storms of life. And I just it helps me, and I think about this. When you are in right relationship with God, it doesn't mean the storms are over by any means. It means, though, instead of coming, instead of going to pieces, you can have the peace of God. And that's it. If you, if you do not rely upon God, it's going to be like that wind, and you're going, whoa, 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 and you're blowing every which way. If you rely upon God, God, I, I don't know. You know better than I. You know better than I. We hold on to that rock and know the storm rages. We can have the peace of God. And that's for which you and I are striving as Christians. When trouble sometimes, and they're going to come. We, for our small, uh, our, our church size, we have a lot of people with a lot of big problems. You don't know about them all, but there's a lot of people, several people with big problems. Yet God is able, is he not? He's able. He's able. The pilgrims, the praise, the procession, the prophecy, the people. And 17, the people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for they had heard what he had done, of this miracle. So the testimony of Lazarus, what, what's the odor you've given off this week? What's the odor? Is it Christ-like odor? Or is it just a, a foul odor that, uh, that, doesn't really, that doesn't really ring true to what you should be as a Christian? Just asking, just asking. And the perception in 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive, or see ye how ye prevail? Nothing? They were discouraged. We were, behold, the world has gone after him. Can you imagine that, that night? Do you, do you not see the people? How many people? I don't know, like at least 100,000. Uh, 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 depends, depends on what media at branch outlet you look at. But this one says it's, it, there's like half a million people out there waving their hands. and Oh my goodness. And he's got everybody following him. We can't get five people to come to the synagogue. And he's got thousands and thousands. Perceive ye not how we prevail nothing. Behold the world. And oh, I wish the world had gone after him. I wish the world was going after him. I wish Christians, let's just zero on it. I wish Bible-believing Christians would go after him. We, we paint too broad a brush, brush. It is you. It is me who believe God's word. We have got to hold on. And be the salt and light God expects us to be. Throwing in the towel, it's always too early to do that. So application, and this is application, first of all, for the unbeliever. He is the promised Messiah, the anointed one. Same word, Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. He came to offer himself to die for you. And, and the pastor, they have, yesterday, last Sunday morning, they had their offering at the very end. He said, listen, if you're here this morning and you do not, you do not know Christ, don't give. Stop. And think about the price that was given for you at Calvary. Don't give in the offering. Think about the price given for you. I thought, wow, I like that. I'm going to use that. Think about that. If you're listening this morning, you've never received Christ. Think about the price paid. That's for the unbeliever. The believer or professing believer. Why are you following God? If I follow God, he's going to meet all my problems and I'll have never any problems again. And he'll do this. Well, what about if your house gets destroyed by fire or your marriage is very rocky and not not the sweet boat ride you thought the marriage was going to be all your life? What about if your health goes south? What about if you lose your job? If you're following God only for those things and not for who he is, you're following for the wrong reason. It's his face. We forget who he is. That's why we love him. For the true follower of Christ, 
in light of what he's done for us, are we living for him? Do you really desire to do his will? My wife and I are reading a book by Philip Keller. He laid us out, laid me out the other night when we talk about the will of God. Is that really your supreme desire in life? Is it really? I trust that it is. Let's pray together, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Lord, I'm thankful this morning for this text. Thankful this day in history. It was so clearly prophesied in the past by Daniel. Through the Holy Spirit, obviously we understand that. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Daniel was a pen he used to write that specific prophecy. And it came true after 173,880 days, exactly like you said it should and would. And yet they, the people, and just a few days later, are going to crucify the king who comes in. Lord, I pray this morning, if there be even one that does not know you as personal Savior, they would get right with you and be saved. For those, perhaps, are just are playing the game. And there are, I would say, thousands across our own little area here who are just playing the game and don't have that real relationship. Who are you trusting today? Lord, we've got to get this settled and have that relationship with you. Then for believers who are wanting to walk with you, where is your will a preeminent thing? I thought about the Sunday school lesson where the teacher said, every free moment, I was in the Bible when I was first saved, or when a past time in his life. Every free moment. Have I ever been like that? Have we ever been so conscious of who you are, Lord, and we just could not get enough of you and your word? Lord, revive our hearts. If we've gotten lukewarm, put a fire under us. Lord, perhaps you are here in America putting a fire under us. Perhaps it's going to be persecution. Perhaps it's going to be already started. You're already bringing judgment. We know upon our country it's plain as day. Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, help when the trials come that we are so angered in you, we don't go to pieces, but we have the peace that passes understanding. And ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.